Welcome in to another episode of Home Field Advantage. Hope you're all having a great week or weekend, whenever and however you may be listening to this podcast across our great country or our great land. My name is Will Highland. We're recording on a Monday morning. Happy Monday, I guess, if you're listening to us on this day. It's been quite a weekend of sports, mostly football, big NBA trade. We'll talk about both in a few minutes. But first, I wanted to start the show on some obvious sad news. And that is that Red Sox legend, and I think any time you spend 17 years with an organization on the field, let alone 12 as a broadcaster, that you deserve to be called a legend. And that's exactly what Tim Wakefield is and was in Red Sox Nation and across the world of baseball. Tim Wakefield passes away at the age of 57. His health uh, appeared to have been deteriorating fast as a result of brain cancer um, and just a devastating loss for the Red Sox community. And it comes only a couple years after losing Jerry Remy, um, a few, maybe, maybe a few to several years after losing Johnny Pesky. Um, and, and then of course, so many others, um, uh, who are a part of Red Sox nation, but in, in recent years, uh, wake, you could find him in the broadcast booth with the Red Sox. You could find him at numerous charity events. He was a very charitable person. Um, just a, just a devastating loss for the community. There has obviously been some discussion about how the news was communicated um, to Red Sox Nation originally, I believe, on Wednesday or Thursday as a result of Kurt Schilling's podcast. He has taken some uh, deserved blame and ill feeling, to put it lightly, for the way it was communicated. Um, But I'll be honest with you guys. I, I don't like talking about that. Um, I'm not excusing, of course, what Kurt Schilling did. I think that's what a, a, a bad move for a friend. Um, but that's not the story. It shouldn't be the story. Um, and Kurt Schilling uh, should feel bad that he made that the story during Wakefield's final days. But I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to dwell on it. Um, because ultimately we are trying to celebrate the life of one man um, whose impact on others supersedes any, in my opinion, um, ill feeling of another. Um, I don't. I actually don't even think there was ill intent on Kurt Schilling's part. I, I just think it was a bad, um, bad approach. Uh, if a friend entrusts you with news, um, that's life-altering like that, uh, you should keep that in confidence. Um, but that's all I'm going to say about that part, because as I said, the main thing here is that that family is reeling, Red Sox Nation is reeling, and he touched the lives of so many people. I actually had the chance to meet Tim Wakefield not that long ago. It was about four months ago, uh, maybe even less, maybe three months ago, at a charity golf tournament here in Maine. We had our picture taken with him. Um, 
just crazy to think that he's only he's only 57 years old um and it's just a very sad day and and I remember you know being infatuated with the knuckleball growing up when you grow up when I did in New England and he was your uh probably three or four starter on the Red Sox for my entire childhood up until I was probably 15 years old he was uh, he was a member of the Red Sox and throwing the knuckleball because Tim Wakefield threw the knuckleball um, or trying to learn how to throw it because he threw it um, was certainly, uh, you know, something that I think a lot of kids across New England and Red Sox Nation tried to emulate growing up. Um, I, I liked Tim Wakefield as a pitcher. I, it was always fun to watch him throw the knuckleball. I'm glad he was able to get his 200th win in the 2011 season. Um, he's just a tremendous guy. And the last thing I'll say is, I didn't realize this, um, just because maybe my memory didn't serve me well, but he took himself off the 2007 World Series roster. Um, you know, so if you get a novelty ball or a novelty shirt of the 2007 Red Sox, you know, with the roster of the World Series on it, he's not there. Um, and, you know, he was at the celebration in Colorado, and and it was Mike Timlin who had that famous uh, interview uh, where he commended Tim Wakefield for putting the team first and taking himself off the roster. I don't remember the circumstances of that particular um instance perhaps I could look it up right now to make sure I give you guys the full context uh but but that's the kind of guy he was right like so many times you know pro athletes get talked about as being selfish or greedy right um and that's just not that's just not who he was um that's not who he is and that's not who he was so um I think that needs to be taken into account uh, for sure. All right, let's see here. Yes, he had an injured right shoulder. Um, and that is why he was taken off the roster for the World Series. But it's crazy. He finished that season with a 17-12 and 12 record, which is tr tremendous. So... That's just the kind of guy he was. He performed on the field, and he was a great man off the field. And unfortunately, though, it wasn't the only loss the New England sports community felt this past week. Um, Chris Snow, who was a Boston native and currently the or was the assistant general manager of the Calgary Flames, um, passed away after a long battle with ALS. Um, complications to, of that disease. Uh, it's a horrible disease. It's a it's a disease that robs humans of their ability to uh, move, talk, speak, breathe, eat, any physical feeling or sense that you try um, and that we take for granted. It, it robs you of that slowly and it's and sometimes even fast. Um, and it's a it's a horrible disease and it's very sad. Um, I had been following that, following that story for a couple of years now, and 
it's just it's just really sad and I can only imagine how that family feels with two young kids so I don't mean to start the show with a sad note but this is the kind of thing right I mean sports is sports is fragile you know we're we talk about games on the field right talk about guys playing games right like that's that's what we're doing it's a game it is and it feels like more than a game I'm not diminishing it because you know for a lot of us it's our primary source of entertainment um, and in passion, uh, in terms of something, you know, that, that is constructive. I think it's constructive to be passionate about your sports teams. I think a lot of people, um, you know, look down on that too, but, but in terms of, in terms of life and death, it's, it's not really anywhere close. And, and you get reminded of that when stuff like this happens and, and realize that these figures in sports, uh, they're people, right? They're not numbers. They're not fantasy players. Um, they're not. Uh, they're not equations. They're not tweets. Um, they're real people, uh, and and thankfully, um, we get a glimpse of. We get a glimpse of 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 humanity. I think when people rally around um, situations like these. Uh, we also learned that um, Bruins coach Jim Montgomery lost his mother too. So just another reminder that that these guys they have families of their own too. They're again not just names or equations or things on a spreadsheet. Um, they're real people. So that's where we stand. Ten minutes into the program on a Monday morning. Um, thanks for bearing with me here. It's been been sort of a tough week um, for for this kind of thing. Uh, and it's hard to move on to sports after this, right? But, but that's what, you know, that's what I'm, that's what I'm going to try and do here. Um, so quick, quickly changing gears this morning. The Patriots got absolutely obliterated yesterday. It was not a pretty sight. Uh, 38 to three was the final. Mac Jones had two, um, interceptions, one in the second quarter that resulted in a pick six, one in the third quarter. Um, he also had a strip sack that resulted in a touchdown, uh, followed by a two point conversion. So that was in the, I believe the second quarter as well. So, I mean, he spotted Dallas 18 points. So if you take that away, right. And maybe some of those turn into points. That's the game the Patriots were trying to play, right? If they hold Dallas to 20 points offensively and maybe you get somewhere in the teens, that's the kind of game the Patriots were trying to play. The problem is, and I've been a Mac guy, is when Mac doesn't have a good game, right, it sort of all falls on him. If he if he has a really shitty game like he did yesterday, right, there's no there's no getting around that. If he had a really bad game, then you're probably going to lose because you just do not have the offensive talent to overcome a bad performance by your quarterback. Like, Zach Wilson last week against the Pats um, looked bad. He didn't turn the ball over, though, right? But the Jets had enough talent on their team to hang in there with the Pats. And look, the Pats aren't a great f- team. They're not even close to Dallas, um, in my opinion. You, obviously, after yesterday, you see that. But 
the Patriots are at this point where Mac's got to be really good, right? Like I've always said, he's going to be your reality quarterback, not your fantasy quarterback. The problem is now is he kind of has to be a fantasy quarterback. He kind of has to throw three touchdowns a game and, you know, 300 plus yards for you to win a game against a good team. And that's what Dallas is. Dallas is a good team. You can't always beat a team like Dallas 20 to 15 like you can't like you can with the Jets or even the uh you know Colts or the Commanders or somebody else who's going to be on the Patriots schedule this year. You cannot win games that way all the time against everybody. It sometimes it works. But eventually, much like in the 2021 matchup with Dallas, Mac's got to make some big plays. And if you look back at that game, I mean, to me, that was the game when I started being a Mac Jones believer. Was that game in 2021. They lost the game. But what Mac Jones in that game threw a devastating pick six only to follow it up with an amazing touchdown pass to... Um, to Kendrick Bourne. The only problem with that game is the Patriots defense then immediately went on the field and let Dallas walk down the field. Um, so, and then look, they let Dallas do that on, on the opening drive yesterday too. Uh, granted, they hold them to a field goal. But I guess that's my point with this, with this Patriots team is Mac Jones is going to be the story because it's going to be guys like him, your quarterback, your leader, that have to step up if you're going to win these games. But to me, there's even more layers below that. Or there are even more layers below that, which is, number one, your offensive line is a... a, a I don't even know. Like I'm stuttering because I'm running out of words to describe how bad the pass offensive line is. I'm running out of words. They're bad. I watched Mike Uenu cost the pass about 20 yards with a holding penalty and two false starts in about a 20-minute span. And Mike Uenu, I mean, outside of Andrews, he might be your best offensive lineman. Trent Brown, when healthy, probably is your best offensive lineman. I'm still not, I'm still not convinced that he's 100% right now. And then you also have a situation where Cole Strange and all these other guys and City Sal, like you're you're running you're running out of your depth chart there. So the offensive line, not only is it not really good, you also don't really have a lot of depth there, um, and that's showing. The only strange thing is that Mac Jones was sacked four times against Miami and twice against Philly but only once in the past two games against Dallas and New York Jets. So that's the, that's just the really confusing part about this whole endeavor. But it, it's just one part of a bigger picture. You have a bad offensive line, that means you can't establish the run. When are we going to start talking about how Ramondre Stevenson is in witness protection? When are we going to start talking about how Zeke Elliott has zero explosiveness and can't even give you your short yardage conversions that you want? When are we going to start talking about how the tight ends aren't involved enough in the passing game? When are we going to start talking about how the special teams uh, return game is horrible? 
Uh, none of these things we talk about. We talk about the quarterback play and the quarterback play only when we talk about the Patriots offense. And while we also talk about the, the lack of weapons, none of this stuff matters if you can't block, if you have bad field position, and if you're not scheming up plays. It just doesn't matter. If you're, not, if you're a team that is fundamentally uh, not sound, which they are, there's a lot of procedural penalties. Think about what I just talked about with Michael Wenu. It seems like there's a false start or a delay of game all the time. There's even a delay of game yesterday on a field goal attempt. Um, all of these things, if you're not a fundamentally sound team, if you have a bad offensive line, if you don't have a lot of weapons, if your quarterback, yes, makes bad throws. He made two abysmal throws yesterday. I'm not discounting that. But if you put this all up, it's a recipe for disaster. And there's a lot of Mac Jones haters out there, all right? And they, they had a field day yesterday. I mean, for some reason, I don't know what it is, but Rex Ryan hates Mac Jones. Rex Ryan goes on um, goes on uh, ESPN this morning and is talking about the arm talent of Mac Jones, all right? There's people who think that Bailey Zappi is a better quarterback than Mac Jones, who are completely out of their mind. So, I mean, two things can be true, guys. He can look horrible yesterday, and that can be that, and it can be a multi-pronged issue for the Patriots. It does not have to be one or the other. Uh, it can be both. And here's what I'd say. One more thing on Jones specifically. If you want to move on from him, it looks like a lot of Patriots fans want to move on from him. Okay, you know what? It's week four, and he's two and a quarter years in his career. Could you imagine if the Bills gave up on Josh Allen two and a quarter years through his career? I mean, think about it. Four games into the 2020 season, he was having a pretty good year. But want to know the difference? All right, want to know if they gave up on... Because if you think about him, Jones missed a handful of games last year. So it's probably about the same uh, same sample size of games here. The first two years, Josh Allen looked like he made bad throws, made bad decisions, was airmailing guys, was throwing a lot of picks, and looked scared back there. Didn't have any weapons. Want to know what happened? The Bills went out and they got a better... Um, got a better skill skill group around him. They invested in their skill players. They invested in their offensive line. They had Stephon Diggs come in, who was an amazing receiver, still is. And it turned it around for Josh Allen. But could you imagine if the Bills fans want, and I'm sure you could go back and read receipts after the 2019 season, bad playoff loss that they had after the 2019 season. Um... To, I think I believe to Houston. If if you went back there and said to Bills fans, "Oh yeah, we got to move on from Josh Allen," and then Josh Allen went to another team with good coaching and good weapons and plays like he now plays, the Bills fans would never forgive you. I'm not saying Mac Jones is going to do that, but how have you seen enough? I I just really want to know. How have you? Okay, he had one bad game this year, right? One bad game yesterday. Two picks, pick six, fumble, strip sack for a touchdown, 12 of 20, 150 yards, um, only 57% completion. He had a bad game yesterday. 
He had one bad game this year. The Jets game, Jets game was bad just all around. The Patriots played down the Jets. Mac, Mac didn't look great. He had one touchdown, no picks. You know, only threw for two hundred. But he looked good against Philly and Miami, even though he lost both those games at home. He looked good. You know, thirty-five of fifty-four for three sixteen and three touchdowns. You know, he's the reason you were in that game. I hate to say it. Um, I know. I know we're all supposed to pretend that he's not, but he was. Miami, pretty good. Thirty-one of forty-two, two hundred thirty-one yards. The quick passing game was on that night. I mean, what have you seen? You saw one game yesterday this year where he looked bad. One game. His rookie year, he was a rookie. Last year, he was hurt and had horrible offensive coaches. We're four games into the year. And as I pointed out on my live video yesterday, are you surprised they're one and three? I'm not. Their schedule was hard. I was telling you in June that they were going to be one and three to start the year. So if you want to move on from Mac Jones, great. But don't gaslight everybody and pretend that Bailey Zappi's better or that we should go back to the Cam Newton era. You're out of your mind if you think that. You really are. You're out of your mind. I'm not going to pretend that Mac Jones had a great game yesterday. He's he's not. I'm not going to pretend that he's a pro bowler. I'm not going to pretend that he's ever going to win you the Super Bowl. But if you think that you know, pack it in after four games and tank for Caleb Williams so you can start all over. That That's not in our DNA. That's a loser mentality. That's a defeatist mentality. I don't know if you've noticed, but this AFC is wide open. There's not anybody in the AFC. Buffalo, maybe. Baltimore, maybe. But there's, outside of that, I mean, the Chiefs, we know. If you're really talking about the Chiefs, the Ravens, and the Bills. Nobody else... Even the Dolphins. Nobody else looks like they're going to be able to run away with their division. I know it's early. It's wicked early. The South, everybody's 2-2. Two and two, Wide open. Alright? The West, I don't think Denver or the Raiders are going anywhere. You have to beat Denver. You have to beat the Raiders. Alright? If you're the Patriots, you have to beat the teams that you, that you need to beat. Which means, when you go play the West which they haven't played yet. They've played two NFC teams. That's not going to matter in the standings. It really isn't um, in the AFC standings. It's going to matter about who you beat in this own conference. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but this AFC West, you could you could probably beat the Raiders and the Broncos. The Chargers are streaky. They're coming to Foxborough. If you could win those three games, then you're. I would say you're a playoff lock. As long as you don't completely, you know, crap yourself against everybody else. Which is a big ask, I admit. Um, the Jets, the Zach Wilson experience is going to giveth and taketh away. Yesterday you saw them, they have a moral victory of their own. Uh, they're losing uh, in close fashion to the Chiefs. But Zach Wilson, he's not going to bring the Jets to the promised land. The Steelers don't look as scary as I thought they were. You might have a chance to beat them. Uh, after their performance yesterday, uh, you're gonna end up playing. You're gonna end up playing the Colts in London. I think you might be able to win that game. So if you can beat your AFC opponents, your two—I argue your three hardest opponents of the year were the Chiefs, 
the Eagles and the Cowboys, and you've already played two of them. Two of them are out of conference, and you've lost those two already. All right? The rest of their schedule, look, they're going to have to play the Dolphins one more time down there, and they're going to have to play the Bills twice. Those are going to be hard games. The path is still there. So if you guys want to have a defeatist mentality, you want to give up on Jones, you want to tank the season, you want to go play for a college football player, who, by the way, while we're on that topic, Caleb Williams, Shadur Sanders, all these guys, Devin Leary, KJ Jefferson, Sam Hartman, Quinn Ewers, they're all projects, all right? Every college quarterback is a project. It is. We're in year three of Mac Jones. Apparently, that's still a project, and, you know, I'd be lying if I was trying to tell you otherwise. You know, you look around the league, I mean, even Trevor Lawrence, who was probably the most pro-ready quarterback we had seen since Andrew Luck, is still trying to develop as an NFL quarterback. These guys are all projects. C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson are, you know, having some early success. It's going to be something that they have to continue to develop. So if you want to go out there and you want to take a chance on a college quarterback, we can have that debate maybe on another show. But my thing is, Mac Jones won a national championship as a senior in college with amazing talent around him and all this stuff. You know, five-star recruits as far as the eye could see in Tuscaloosa. And he it still doesn't always translate to the NFL. It doesn't. You know, you know, um, look at Justin Fields, right? Look at Zach Wilson, that entire 21 draft class we talked about last week. There's some question marks all over the place there. So, you know, if you want to tank the season and go for a college quarterback, then, then sure, we can, you know, have, maybe have that debate. But what I'm telling you is this AFC is wide open. The Bengals are in last place in their division. The Jets or one and three as well. The Rodgers injury is really thrown a wrench in that. Um, Denver's horrible. Uh, I mean, the, you can say that the Chiefs, the Ravens, the Bills, and the Dolphins are positioned at three and one to make the playoffs at this point. Everybody else is either two or two or one and three. That leaves three playoff spots up for grabs at this point that nobody is really talking about. Now, to be fair, the Patriots aren't going to be able, aren't going to be able to qualify for one of them cuz that's going to be the winner of the South. But just take two wild card spots. You know, the either Miami or Buffalo is going to end up in one of them. And then you're at this point, unless there's major movement, you're going to be competing with Pittsburgh, you're going to be competing with Cleveland, you're going to be competing with, you know, maybe Houston or Jacksonville, the Chargers, the Raiders. If you and I think they're sort of in that in that realm with those other teams, they are. I mean, I think probably the Chargers are better, but you get them at home. If you can win that game, that means that that's a big difference. You know, you're gonna start beating up on each other. You can see the AFC East already beating up on one another. You know, the Pates the uh, the Pats beat the Jets, but the Jets beat the Bills, but the Bills beat the Dolphins, but the Dolphins beat the Pats. I mean, we're all beating up on each other in the AFC East. So this, this AFC is wide open, and, you know, again, I thought they were going to start 1-3. and three. They, have a, they have a big opportunity against the Saints next week to win a game at home. New Orleans is reeling. They have a big opportunity to then 
go and get revenge on the road against Vegas, who does not look good um, at all. And then at that point, you're going to that Sunday afternoon game on the 22nd with the Bills, and it's a chance to possibly uh, finally get that monkey off your back. But that's those are all big asks, right? I'm not, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be fun. Every game's going to be a rock fight as long as you don't turn the ball over three times like we did yesterday. But if you're a Pats fan and you're ready to tank on the season after the first four games of the year in a bad conference, or at least in a competitive conference, I'm not sure I'm not sure what you're watching. I mean, yesterday was a bad game. It's the worst uh, defeat uh, margin of Belichick's career. But if you're ready to tank the season after a 1-3 start, which I don't think anybody would have been surprised with given the schedule, I'm not really sure what you're watching or what you're expecting. Because the 2015 Patriots aren't walking through that door. The 2019 Patriots aren't walking through that door. We weren't going to start 10-0. We weren't even going to start 8-1. That wasn't in the cards. So... You want you want inspiring football again? I get it. You want Mac Jones to be better? I I can I surely hope he can be better than yesterday. Yesterday was really bad, um, you know. But I think for a lot of for a lot of Pats fans, it was it was like they wanted it to manifest. They've been saying for years how bad Jones is and how he's not the guy, and they wanted a performance like that um, in national window against Dallas. Um, they wanted that to make themselves right. But I guess my question is for my fellow Patriots fans out there, do you want to win or do you want to be right? Um, I prefer winning, uh, and that's just where I'm going to leave it. All right, moving on here real quick um, to our last topic. I'm not going to pretend to be a big basketball guy, but the Celtics swinging a trade for Drew Holiday Days after the Bucks swing a trade for um, Damian Lillard is exactly the kind of NBA that I grew up actually respecting and enjoying on, you know, enjoying watching. Um, you know, like, that's, that's the NBA that I know, which is the teams going at each other, building rosters, going at one another. Think about the Lakers and the uh, Spurs. Think about maybe the Cavs or the or the uh, Heat versus the Celtics. I mean, back in the day, uh, you know, the Magic and in in some of these other teams back, you know, 15, uh, 20 years ago, the Pistons, you know, trying to be better than the Bulls. All these things. That's the kind of NBA that I grew up watching and enjoying. Not the NBA where you can basically pencil in who's going to make the NBA Finals every year because there's only a handful of teams with enough superstars. Now I look around the NBA and I think the Eastern Conference, you know Milwaukee and Boston are going to be right there. I think Philly will be right there. It's going to be, it's going to be a battle and it's going to be great entertainment for a change. Um, I think Drew Holiday is going to sort of add a toughness factor to the Celtics that they may have lost with Marcus Smart. I think losing Rob Williams sucks because I liked Time Lord, um, but he's just, not, he wasn't, he wasn't going to stay on the court enough to be what they need him to be if they're going to compete for a championship. Um, 
you know, but if you think about it, you know, you offload Brogdon, Marcus Smart, Rob Williams, and I think a first round pick or two, and you end up with Porzingis and Drew Holiday to go along with Brown and Tatum and the rest of the cast of characters there. I think, I think that's a, that's a, uh, what's the word for it? That's an opportunity for the Celtics to be a different kind of basketball team, to have a new identity, right? They have to have a new identity. Their identity cannot be what it was the past few years. They had to shake things up. And um, I think they're going to be in a position where it, it really is, it's finals appearance or bust for the Boston Celtics. Um, and I, th- But to be fair, I think Milwaukee is going to be in the same boat, and I think Philly's going to be in the same boat. Um, I, I do. I think... If you look at who's still sticking around, the Knicks are going to be hanging around. The Cavs are going to be hanging around. Brooklyn, you never know. The Hawks, the Heat. Some of these teams are going to be hanging around. I mean, the Heat The Heat ended up making the finals last year as a, what was it, a eight seed? If I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they're all going to be hanging around. But it's really, it's the Celtics who are going to have the opportunities because of the, the, the big trades they've made in this offseason. I think Porzingis certainly isn't the guy he was four or five years ago, but I think he's going to bring something different to the team. And I think Drew Holiday, you're going to get some of that toughness back um, and that you know hard-nosed basketball that I really enjoy watching. Uh, I don't want it to be hero ball. I don't want it to be a bunch of guys shooting up the three. Um, but... You know, you have to take the victories you can. And I, so I, anyway, I really like the Drew Holiday trade. I think it, it brings some of that buzz back. Um, and I think Brad Stevens, by and large, has done a good job upstairs uh, keeping this team competitive and shaking things up without completely overhauling uh, the roster that's built around Brown and Tatum for sure. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Home Field Advantage. Before I go, though, Big, big news is, I promised it back in May, we're going to do two shows a week now. The NFL season is too robust, there's too many things going on. Um, you know, we're going to have the NBA and NHL starting soon, so, so much is happening. And for that reason, I am expanding, we're going to do Monday and Thursday. So Monday morning, Thursday morning, we're going to have a new show. Um, we're also going to be, of course, doing Odd Man Rush as well with diesel a new episode of that will be out tonight um so which will be in our feed as well so just keeping that up for everybody we're gonna have monday we're gonna have thursday new episodes of home field advantage for you that way you have one to recap the weekend and then one as you're getting ready for the weekend um and we're gonna piggyback on it as best we can cover some things maybe do shorter shows more than once a week rather than one long show per week Alright, so stay tuned for that. You can hit us up on social at HomefieldPod and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. But until Thursday, and until next time, you've been listening to Homefield Advantage. This is Will Highland. See you all next time. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite provider, including Spotify, Apple, Google, and Stitcher. You can also check out 
Odd Man Rush, a brand new NHL-centric podcast brought to you by myself and Kyle Diesel as part of this network. All the programs on this network are independent and the opinions expressed there do not reflect those of any other company, outlet, person, or entity.